The scripture text for the sermon is from Isaiah chapter 40. Isaiah chapter 40, verses 6 through 8. A voice says, cry. And I said, what shall I cry? All flesh is grass, and all its beauty is like the flower of the field. The grass withers, the flower fades. When the breath of the Lord blows on it, surely the people are grass. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Good evening. I feel like on the last day of 2016, it is hard not to reflect on our past year together, right? Maybe some of you guys have spent some time reflecting on the last year of your life because we like to think of life in chunks that begins on January 1st and ends on December 31st. And I remember going back to the beginning of the year and the particular challenges that were facing us. And here we are at the end of the year. And all I can, re- all I can really conclude is how faithful and merciful and steadfast God is to his people. Amen? I know some of you guys had different kinds of years. Some were hard years. Some were smooth and filled with all kinds of blessing. But no matter what it is, I think we can all testify that God has been faithful to his word. And he's been faithful to his people. And as we think about 2017 and going forward, we can only really conclude, right, that there's going to be more struggles. There's going to be more trials. There's going to be more setbacks. There's going to be more blessings. But through it all, we know that God's grace is going to triumph over everything in our lives. So that's our hope, and I think that's our encouragement. And I also think about 2016. I was thinking about this today and how just me personally, and this is just a, a glory to Jesus, the Savior that he is. And I got this picture of just my sin this year alone and how it almost seemed to pile up like a huge mountain as I think about God's faithfulness and I think about my own life. And you realize how far short you've come from the glory of God. And I thought, though, about this sin that is piling up as if it was a giant pile of snow. You know the snow piles that pile up in the parking lots? And then when I think about the cross of Christ, when I think about the blood that he shed, I realize that it's like the, like the grace of a spring breeze that comes in and melts that pile away so that there's no trace of it. So as far short as I have fallen, and as I think about the ups and the downs, the reality is our conscience in Christ is clear. Our sins are forgiven. The mountain of evidence against us is completely done away with in the mercy of Christ. Hallelujah. 
And I don't know if you're like me. I don't know if you think about your last year and you think about, oh, gosh. But I do, and I think about that mountain just standing there. And then God's mercy just melting it away and dealing with it decisively and completely as far as the east is from the west. So far has he removed all of our transgressions away from us. Amen? So here we are. We stand and we look back at our life. And even though maybe it didn't go the way you wanted it to, God's mercy triumphs over everything in our lives. Hallelujah. What a Savior we have. All right. This is the sermon before the sermon here. So I better reel it in. Let me pray. Father, I thank you for these people. I thank you for glory of Christ fellowship. I thank you for all the people that you have purchased with your blood. I thank you that we were able to grow together this year. I thank you that you have sustained us this year. I thank you that we have seen more of your faithfulness throughout this year. I thank you that we have learned more of each other and more of your steadfast love throughout this year. And we look forward, Lord, to seeing more of you and to experiencing more of your grace, of your favor, of your kindness, of your patience, of your wisdom, of your power, of your might. We thank you, God, and we give you all the glory for what you have done. We give you all the glory for what you will continue to do. We don't know, Lord, what 2017 holds for us, but we do know this, that your word will stand forever and your steadfast love will always be there and you will never leave us, you'll never forsake us. And for that, we're thankful. And with that, we have enough. We have enough, God, to respond to you in faith, to be filled with joy So we're thankful, Lord God. And again, we give you all the glory. We give you all the glory for sending your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, to live among us, to die in our place, so that we would have forgiveness of sins, that we could be reconciled to the living God, and we could have fellowship with you, O God, and we could have fellowship with your people. So I pray, Lord God, that you would richly bless us. As you have, we know that you will. Because you are a faithful God whose word endures forever. You, God, you endure forever. You are the everlasting God. So we humble ourselves before you, and we give you all the glory, and we give you all of our praise. You are worthy of it. So receive that now, we pray. We pray that you would bless this word tonight, Lord God. We pray that you would speak to us, Father. Help me to be clear with your people. Help my preparation, Lord God. Feed this people. I pray that they would be blessed by what you have to say to us. And I do pray, Lord God, that even though I'm the one talking, that you would really be the one that was talking tonight. So speak to your people, Lord. We're thankful, Lord God, for your word. What a treasure we have in your word. Help us to love it more in 2017. In Jesus' name we pray all this. Amen. Okay. I saw a video 
by Todd Friel, where he went around to college campuses and he asked some questions which are interesting and revealing. He asked, the sign on the store over there says that there's no pets allowed. If I identify as a dog, because that's what I believe I am inwardly, should I be allowed to go into the store? Now, of course, we think that the question is ridiculous, but it's not, because the college student that he was with answered, well, no, you shouldn't be allowed to go into the store because you would be a dog. If that's what you identify as, So here we are in this world, this culture that is moving more and more towards relativism, which is the movement away from absolute truth, that there is such a thing as absolute, objective truth. Relativism suggests that the truth that we buy into is determined ultimately by the desires of the individual, while absolute truth, on the other hand, suggests that truth exists outside of the individual or the circumstance. It is a fixed reality that doesn't depend on the circumstance or what the individual thinks or feels. These are two opposite things. And our culture is moving more and more towards relativism. And we see this creeping into the church as well. It's not just symptomatic of unbelievers, but also believers as well. And that's not exactly the point that I'm trying to make here. And as you can probably already see, there's a connecting point with the word of our God will stand forever. There is an absolute, moral, objective truth. And God's Word contains it because God is absolute. He exists. We'll say more about that. Let's look at Isaiah chapter 40. Isaiah 40 begins on a note of comfort, and ends on a note of strength. The people of Israel were in exile. That's important to understand. They're facing God's judgment. And God comes to them with the desire to comfort them and to renew their strength. So in the face of experiencing God's judgment, for their disobedience against God's word. Here's God coming to them and rising up foreign powers to come in and hold them captive. And in this context, we hear in verse 1 and 2, comfort, comfort, oh my people. There's a word of comfort to God's people who are in captivity. They're facing harsh discipline from the Lord. And then it says in Isaiah 40, verses 6 through 8, a voice says, cry. And I said, what shall I cry? All flesh is grass, it says, and all its beauty like the flower of the field. 
The grass withers, the flower fades when the breath of the Lord blows on it. Surely the people are grass. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. So the question that I wrestled with at this point was, how does this statement provide comfort? You're going to die. You're a fading flower. Your beauty is going. Have a nice day. But God's word, on the other hand, that'll stand forever. It's kind of an interesting, like, where's the connection? I I was wondering, where's the connection? You're going to die, but God's word, on the other hand, that'll last forever. I really felt... I I really wondered, where's the logical connection here? Why would that be comforting? I almost felt a little bit like Jim Gaffigan, and I'm not trying to go out of my way here to be funny or anything like that, because those of you who know Jim Gaffigan know he's a comedian, and he says funny things. But he talked about Easter traditions. I don't know if you've ever heard this. He talked about Easter traditions, and he said, Easter, that's the day when Jesus rose from the dead. What should we do? Well, how about eggs? Right? What does that have to do with Jesus? Well, all right, we'll hide them then. I'm not following the logic. Well, don't worry, there's a bunny. There's, where's the logical connection here? You're going to die, but God's word, on the other hand, will stand forever. How does this provide comfort? Here's a couple of things. And by the way, there is a rational, logical connection to these things. Let me list off four things, four ways, and there's probably more. But starting with Israel's context, the people that first heard this were the Israelites, God's people, and they were in exile. They were punished for their sin. Their situation was a swirl of Assyrian and Babylonians invading and exiling the people of God. Now, this is horrendous. Imagine how hard of a situation this would have been for God's people. How severe the discipline was here. It would be as if ISIS gained enough power to take control of our cities and our governments, and all of a sudden, we're under their rule and under their law. That would basically be our worst nightmare. Isaiah's word of comfort suggests that these ruling empires are also flesh that will wither away. They are not going to last forever. And this, I think, provides comfort for us as well. When we think about evil and the stronghold that some evils have in our world, in our culture, there is an expiration date on these things. One day, all evil will be eradicated. Even though it seems, and are there not things that just seem so immovable, as if we would never be able to uproot it and do away with it? All flesh is grass. It's a fading thing. Everything, including evil and all the evil empires, have an expiration date on them. God's kingdom will endure forever. This is comforting and hopeful. 
Number two, God's people are comforted as we're connected to the everlasting God. And God's word is a way of connection there. Now, life teaches us that suffering is a reality. And suffering teaches us that we are fragile, that we're weak, that we're vulnerable. Knowing that God is powerful, that God is eternal, and sovereignly in control of all things, this is comforting, especially for those who have faith in God and in His promise and in His covenant love. So I would say this is a second way that this is comforting to God's people. And it's also comforting to know that God has spoken through His Word that He has spoken. And don't take that for granted, that God has spoken. And His Word is eternal. His Word is unchanging. His Word is everlasting. So some points of relevance for us. We don't have to decide what gender we are. We don't have to make that decision for our children. And we certainly don't have to decide whether we are a human or an animal. There's plenty of decisions in life, right? At least we can wipe those off the table. God has spoken clearly. And this is an everlasting clarity into our world that we can build our lives upon. God's Word is an anchor. It is a ballast that holds us down. It is a guide. It is a counselor to us in all walks and areas of our lives. So the fact that God has spoken and that it is an everlasting Word to us, this is comforting. Now I want to go a step deeper. Number four, And we see that God comforts mankind by identifying the beauty of human life. We see God affirming the beauty of human life in this. The flower fades, yes, but it has its beauty, right? It does have beauty. And we are likened to this flower. So even though we are a fading flower that doesn't last, we are created in the image of the living God with inherent value and dignity. You are a human being. And because you are so, you have the capacity to reflect the glory of the Almighty God. So I think this passage is answering a deeper question that all humans are asking And that question I think that all humans are asking and wrestling with is, what makes me valuable? Why do I matter? Isaiah 40 assumes that human beings have beauty. And it also assumes that human beings don't want to fade. Do you find it particularly encouraging when you're told you have beauty, but you're fading and you're withering? No, that's not encouraging. 
Is it? it? So it assumes you don't want that. I think this word assumes that we want to be eternal. That we want value. That we want relevance. That we want love. That we want permanence in these things. We don't want to be a flower that is here today and gone tomorrow. We don't want to be beautiful today and withered tomorrow. So I think there's an assumption here that Isaiah is recognizing that the fact that we fade away leaves humans deeply vulnerable and wondering, why do I matter? Now, if we go back to the relativists that we looked at at the beginning of the sermon, we can begin to see that there's a deeper thing going on in their answers, right? We can sit back in our chair, in our theological towers, and we can point out the irrationality, even the stupidity of their conclusions. But do we see them as individuals who are created in the image of God who simply want an answer to this question, why do I matter? And how do they answer that question? Here's how they answer it. They say that human beings are so valuable that they have the ability to create truth. Whatever you think is what goes. You have the ability to create truth. That's how valuable you are. Now, I'm not saying this is the right answer, and I don't want to overlook the cataclysmic devastation of the outcome of this kind of worldview. But make no mistake, brothers and sisters, the motivation in this is one that the whole human race wrestles with. What makes me valuable? And why do I matter? Here's what Scripture says. Scripture teaches us that your value as a human being comes from the fact that God made you in His image. Do you have breath this very second? It is because God has breathed into you. And every single second or every time you inhale and every time you exhale, it is proof positive that God is there giving you that breath saying, you matter. You're valuable. And it doesn't matter if you have a good job. It doesn't matter if people even love you. The reality is, you have breath. God breathed that breath into you. That's how you came into being. And therefore, because you bear the image of God, you matter. That's your value. I'm going to try to connect all this. Let's talk about breath and God's breath and the theology of breath. A theology of breath. Wow, that sounds sophisticated. So we've seen that God, God through his breath, has breathed life into 
man. Genesis 2-7. He breathed the breath of life into Adam, and he became a man, a living being. Isn't that amazing? Right? So God's breath makes life, but it also takes life. What do we see here in verse, uh, I forget what verse it is. The grass withers, Isaiah 40, I think it's 7. The grass withers, the flower fades when the breath of the Lord blows on it. Surely the people are grass. So here we see God's, God's breath makes life. God's breath takes life. How do we make sense of that? Here's a question that my daughter Lydia asked me this week as we were driving in the car, right? I don't know if she caught wind of my sermon preparation, but we're driving in the car and she asked, why would God want to take away our life if he was the one who gave us life? Okay, uh, no more family worship for you, young lady. <laughs> Stop answering, asking questions. I can't uh, Pastor Charlie, let's call him up. Unfortunately, we're in the car, and I don't want to fumble around on the phone because I'm a great dad, and I don't want to put your life in danger. So that's a tough question. It's a good question. And I think it's the question that we should ask when we look at this passage in Isaiah 40. God's breath withers. How do we make sense of that? Why would he be the one who breathes breath into us? And why would he want to take that away? Here's what I said. For better or worse, here's what I came up with. I said, we were the ones who chose death. We were the ones that decided we didn't want to obey God's eternal word that stands forever. We were the ones who, when we disobeyed God and sought for our validity and sought for our value, not in being image bearers of God, but I want to be God. When God created man, he created him in his image. And sin, you know what sin does? It says, I want more. I want it all. I'm not okay being an image bearer of the living God. I want to be God. So I'll disobey his word. And I'm going to seek my value. I'm going to seek my own truth and I'm going to root that. And by so doing, they separated themselves from God. And the consequence of that is physical death. Your heart will stop beating, but there's a greater consequence to it. It's eternal separation from God. And when the Bible talks about death, that's what it has in mind. You're eternally separated from God. So I think God doesn't desire to take our life. Death was never really in his creative purposes or his mind. However, I think it acts as a judgment. Just like fire exposes chaff, you know what chaff is? When you put it in the fire, it just shrivels up. 
It becomes absolutely nothing. It won't stand in the judgment. And I think it's the same thing when we think about God's breath being his word, his eternal word. When we take our folly and when we take our own version of wisdom and when we take our own version of truth and when that is matched up against God's eternal word, we shrivel. It shrivels. It can't stand. It has said, I don't want to be associated with eternal truth that stands forever. I want my own thing. Actually, the fact that God's word stands forever is really bad news before it's good news. How? How is it bad news that God's word stands forever? Well, here's how it's bad news. All of us are sinners, which means that we have rejected God at his word. We've disobeyed his word and we said, you know what, God? Your eternal word that stands forever, I don't want it. I want my own truth. I want my own word, the word of me. That was what will govern me. It's as if we take the scissors and snip flower off the vine, disconnected. Hey, it's beautiful for a couple of days, right? But it's disconnected from the life source. And it's only a matter of time before it shrivels and dies. I don't want to be connected to the vine and just be one of many beautiful flowers. I want my own. I want to be my own God. So how did we choose death? We chose death when we said, snip, I don't want God's word. I don't want his eternal word, which stands forever. I want my own thing. Well, now this eternal word that stands forever is at odds with us. And we're going to lose. It will shrivel us up. We won't stand against its judgment. I hope that makes sense to us. And this is how sin is so deceiving, is it not? In our quest for validity, in our quest for value, the thing that we actually are striving after, that sin so promises, actually creates the problem. The reason why we're asking the question, why do I matter, is because we've sought it in the wrong way. If we could only accept God's word, if we could only live in response to his truth, we would know I matter because I'm an image bearer of God. But here's the comfort. Let me point this out. And this is the good news. In the midst of this judgment, God's breath upon mankind who severed themselves from God's word, who's rejecting God's word, in that very breath, God is inviting us to accept his word. Isn't that amazing? Which means your heart might stop beating someday. But guess what? You don't have to be eternally separated from God. You don't have to be eternally severed from God. You don't have to be that way. And I think where I get this is that he says, the word of our God will stand forever. Why does Isaiah say that if he wasn't meaning to invite his people to embrace it? Because otherwise it would just stand as a judgment. 
This wouldn't be good news at all if Isaiah didn't mean for his people, return to the Word. Connect yourself back to God by obeying the Word, following the Word, making it your life source. So when Isaiah says, the Word of our God will stand forever, I look at that as an invitation. Oh, people, come to God through the Word. Respond. And since we're on the topic of breathing and the topic of God's word, we look at this and we see 2 Timothy 3.16. All scripture is what? Breathed. Isn't that amazing? All scripture is breathed out by God and is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. So the way that I see it, God's breath His breathing is either life or death. For those that will refuse to put themselves under God's word, who declare their own truth, who who refuse to receive the truth of God, his objective truth, what he's revealed, and respond to it in faith and surrender their lives to it, this word is the word of death. It's the breath that will wither and judge. However, on the flip side, if you are in the category of receiving the Word of God, the truth of God, and accepting that and responding by faith and surrendering your life to God's truth in every aspect, this is the breath of life. God breathing into you. So it's either the breath of death or it's the breath of of eternal life. And I want to go a step further here and point us to Jesus because I think Isaiah 40 looks in anticipation of Jesus. Here's the thing. We don't receive God's word as ink on the page. How do we receive God's word? We receive it in the person and the work of Jesus Christ. Right? And John... Chapter 1, it says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. So receiving the Word and surrendering to the Word is ultimately receiving Christ and surrendering your life to Christ. Jesus became flesh, and He dwelled among us. And that's interesting because Isaiah chapter 40 tells us that all flesh is grass and it withers away. Except there's one exception. The exception to this is Jesus Christ is the Word of God who stands forever and He is God incarnate in the flesh. Is He withering away? No. He is the source of life He is the resurrection and the life. He who comes to me shall never die, but will live eternally. So Jesus is the one exception. He is the hope. He is the word that will stand forever. Now Isaiah is writing to people who were under captivity of the Assyrians and the Babylonians because of their sin, because of the rebellion against God's word, against his truth, against his character. Yet God identifies that there's a deeper problem, a deeper captivity that they have. And that deeper captivity that they face is 
sin and being eternally cut off from God. Look at what it says in verse 2. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her that her warfare is ended, that her iniquity be pardoned. So when Isaiah is addressing his people in Isaiah 40, yes, he has in mind that they are held captive by the Assyrians, but there's a deeper problem that his people face, and that is their sin issue. There's a captivity that goes deeper than the Assyrians. Their death goes deeper than a heart that stops beating. The captivity that he's talking about is is death or sin, I'm sorry. Their captivity is their sin, and their death is separation from God. And we see in verse 2 and in in verse 8 that the real comfort that God offers his people is that God will forgive their sins. So I think, to kind of summarize it, when he says the word of our Lord will stand forever, he brings it as a hope. We see that Jesus is the culmination of God's word. We see that Jesus is God's word made in the flesh. And Jesus is God's word made in the flesh who lived a perfect life, who died a sinner's death, so that everyone who receives this word and surrenders themselves to this word will not be under the captivity of sin. There will be pardon for sin. Let me just say a couple of points of application here. As we think about God's word, as we think about God's word being the breath of God, giving life, the life source of, to his people. It's hard to know exactly what to say, so I think maybe in summary, may we be connected to God's word all the more in 2017. Because it is the breath of God. And I know, I'm just going to assume that all of us would, I'm just going to make the assumption we would all agree that we want the Word of God to be a bigger part of our lives. If we were to go through every single person here, and if we were to take a survey, how many of you guys would say, yes, actually my Bible reading actually superseded what I expected in 2016? I did over and above, actually. I, wouldn't, I might have to dial it back, in fact. Most of us would probably say something to the tune of, I got to get in God's word a little bit more. And for one reason or another, it's difficult. And the common, the common reasons, at least that I hear, is I'm busy. How many of you guys struggle with busyness? Now, I do want to say, some of you are more busy than others. And some of you have more constraints than others. And I understand that. But really, at the end of the day, busyness isn't really excusable, is it? It's not a valid excuse for not being in God's Word more. And what we're really communicating, I think, and I submit this to you in love, you guys can assess this as my opinion at the end of the day, The real reason why it's difficult for us to get into God's Word isn't because we're too busy. It's because we're pragmatic. 
And it doesn't give us what we want. And when I read God's word, it's just, how does this answer anything? I've got an issue with this and that and so on and so forth. And now I've got to read about the Assyrians? Now, if we're being honest, maybe you would agree that the real reason why perhaps it's difficult to be in God's Word is because it doesn't seem relevant. And maybe that's where the helps of pastors, maybe that's the help of Bible studies where that really comes in. Fellowship with other believers and hearing what they have to say about it could be helpful. But it could also be that maybe... Maybe we're looking to God's Word maybe to solve our issues or meet our particular needs, but we're not going to it to fellowship with God Himself. And there's a big difference in that. There's a big difference in going to God's Word because I want solutions to my problems versus I want to fellowship with God I want to know God on a deeper level. I want to be in awe of His wisdom and His might and His power. There's a world of difference between these two things. What's interesting is in, the, in Isaiah, he talked to them and he told them, the word of our God will stand forever. Which means all flesh is grass. These kingdoms will eventually fall. But the reality is, for many of those people, they never actually saw those kingdoms fall. They lived their life under the captivity of Assyrian rule or Babylonian rule. So in a practical, pragmatic sense, they never really got the life that they wanted. They never really got their biggest issues solved. Well, not the biggest issues. Their biggest issue was that they were God's covenant people and that they would be pardoned of their sin. And I just wondered, you know, sometimes I have an idea of what I want life to look like. And I look to the Bible to get me that. And as long as it's not getting me that, I don't see how it connects. And would I be con- would I be Fine, would I be comforted? Would I be okay identifying myself with God's bigger promises that may not be realized in this life? So as we think about that, I want to call us to think about and to consider, is God enough for you? And do you go to Scripture hoping to have fellowship with God there. Even if there's things perhaps in your life that never get solved. And sometimes God's wisdom is so much higher than our wisdom. So we think we want a certain answer and we think we have a good grasp of what our issue is that needs solving. So if we don't want to read God's Word, sometimes it's symptomatic of thinking, no, I don't think God's ways are higher than my ways. I think I actually know what I need 
and what I need from God in this situation. And you know what? I'm not getting it there. So it's kind of a waste of my time. Do we really believe that God's ways are higher than our ways? You know, it's as if you were to go to a doctor and say, I've got this and that issue, and the doctor tells you, well, you need to change your diet. And you might say, (laughs) yeah, right. What does diet have to do with that? That's not going to solve that problem. Well, that means that you're, not put, you're putting yourself on par with the doctor. His way, he doesn't really know anything more than you might know. And oftentimes, God's ways are higher than our ways, which means when we go to him in his word, he has solutions. He has wisdom. He has priorities that aren't even on our radar. And we just think, I don't need that. His ways are higher than our ways. So by, I just want to encourage us with that. Maybe even challenge us. Are there ways that maybe you don't really think that God's ways are higher than your ways? Maybe, if truth be told, I think I know what I need. I think I know what I need from God. And you know what? He's not providing, so I'm getting a little impatient, so I'm not really in his word because I don't see the relevance of it. And again, I just want to stress, I don't don't know or I don't think everybody's in that situation, but when you say you don't have time for God's word, what do you really mean by that? I don't buy that. I don't buy that for myself. How many of you guys have a smartphone? How many of you guys have the Bible app on your phone? You know, the, you know what the average amount for the average person, how many times they check their phone every minute? Eight times. The average person checks their phone on average eight times a minute. It's hard to believe. I, I probably check mine 30 times, but it's hard to believe that you guys would all check your phone eight times a minute. That seems like a lot, doesn't it? Okay, you have your Bible on your phone. Do you really not have time to read your Bible? <laughs> So I think there's a deeper issue. There's a deeper issue. And, okay, and I do want to qualify this. I don't want this to sound legalistic. Oh, shame on you. You checked your phone and you didn't check the Bible. (laughs) But I think the point is made. We have time for it. There's time to look at God's Word. There's time to check the Fighterverse app and just go through it again. If we follow statistics, you can check the Fighterverse app eight times a minute. You guys should memorize the Bible in 2017. <laughs> We'd be the most connected church in the world. We'd be 4G connected, 4G connectivity to God. So that's why I bring this up, because I really think there's something more to it than I don't have time. There's something more there. And I want you to be real about that with with God. Be real about that with your community group. Be real about that. Why are you really struggling to get into God's Word? And think about it. This is His breath. The same breath that breathed life into you, that made you a walking, talking person. This is His life source to you to be connected to God, an opportunity 
to not be your own God, but to submit yourself to the wisdom of the creator of the universe. What a treasure we have in God's word that will last forever. It's going to stand forever. What else can you say that about in your life? Nothing. So may we connect ourselves to God's word that stands forever in 2017. Amen? Pray. Father, we come before you and we just ask God that you would take this message, Lord. I pray that you would fill us with grace and fill us with encouragement and fill us with truth. And I pray, Lord, that we would receive this not as a judgmental slam, because that's not how I meant it. I pray that we would receive it as a loving, urging challenge from you. Give us eyes to see, Lord, the worth, the treasure of your word, (laughs) that we have it. What an amazing reality that we have your breath breathing life into us every time we sit in your word and meditate on your word and surrender our lives to your word. Oh God, may 2017 be a year where we are more connected to you, Lord. May we know more of you in 2017 because we sit in silence and meditation on your word, where we fellowship together with other believers, Lord, and discuss your word. Or may that be a bigger part of our lives, we pray. We pray for your grace in it, Lord God, to lead us and to shepherd us in this way. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.